Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. I think about the scripture that says that we were dead in the trespasses of our sins, but God made us alive together with Christ. That is how he saved us. And I, I know how it is. Like, I know, I know what we do. We come into church and, you know, it's just that thing that we do at the end of the week or the beginning of the week, however you think about a Sunday. But we don't really think about how we are coming together to worship a king that was gracious enough that saw something in us to save us. When everybody else thought that you were worthless, he saw something in you. And that's why we gathered in this room. Look at somebody and just say, I came to worship Jesus today. Come on, look at somebody else and just say, I came to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to be gathered with the people of God. Psalm 103 says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. Uh, I am grateful to be in here with the people of God. Y'all good? Apif, we good today? All right. I, um, I'm always grateful for another chance to corporately come together with the body, but also another chance to open up the word so that we can sit under the, the authority of what Jesus has to say to us. Can y'all do me a favor and grab your Bibles, your devices? I'm just curious, and I'm not going to throw no shade. I just want to know, anybody got like physical copies of the Bible? Can y'all just hold them up? Because I, I don't believe you with the hand. There you go. Oh, this is the spiritual. Okay, we got a few over here. I caught that the Bronx last week, but Jesus is over here somewhere. Uh, let's, uh, once you get your Bibles, go to the second book of the Old Testament. You don't even have to have a real familiarity with scripture to find our text today. We're going to be in Exodus. Once you get to Exodus, go to the third chapter of Exodus. As you turn there, man, welcome to our first time visitors. Uh, if you're here for the first time, I know we already shouted you. I just love to see you. Uh, if you could just wave your hand. If you're a first time visitor, you're first. Welcome. Welcome. Y'all welcome. Y'all welcome. Welcome. It is. It is so good to see uh, you guys. You don't have to show up to church. You certainly didn't have to come to our church. There's over 680 churches in Brooklyn alone. It's called the borough of churches for a reason. Uh, but the fact that you showed up here uh, is a big deal. I don't know how you found out about our church. I don't know if you were riding by and saw the big Hello Brooklyn sign outside. Maybe you were scrolling on social media and just something popped up on your feed, or maybe you were threatened by a friend that you better come to church today. Uh, no matter what it is, uh, it is a big deal that you are here, and we celebrate you being here. Uh, also, before we jump into the text, I just want to quickly announce March 26th. Um, I want to keep that date. I'm going to say it every Sunday until we get there. March 26th is our church anniversary, our seventh year. Amen. I feel like the pandemic added a few years, so I really feel like we 10, but we, we only we only seven years old. Um, but I am grateful for God's faithfulness down through the years. We started the work in 2015 with just a handful of people. And then uh, in March of 2016, we launched the church um, up on Nostrand Avenue. And then we were meeting in a small place called the Voodoo Lounge. Anybody remember the Voodoo Lounge? We used to have to. Anybody partied at the Voodoo Lounge? Got a drink at the Voodoo? Where we at? Um, there was a bar that was in there that was a portable bar. We used to put the bar on, on wheels, on dollies, and we would wheel it out. The thing was 3,000 pounds, and we'd wheel it out just to get six seats. And uh, God has been faithful. I feel like he's 
um, opened our hearts to understand that every time we open up space and open up seats, God fills them with stories and people that need to hear about the gospel of Christ. The reason you're sitting here today is because of the work of people from 2015. Forget that. Because of the prayers of people long before the church even started. So I am, I am truly grateful. We're going to celebrate. My pastor will be here. Dr. Eric Mason will be preaching that Sunday. Trust me, you don't want to miss that. We got some other little surprises. I'm, I'm, we're going to pop out and, and show you guys. So I think it's going to be it's going to be a great Sunday to celebrate. When you look at the Old Testament, it is very clear that God wanted Israel to have moments where they stopped, paused, and reflected. I mean, think about them crossing the Jordan. He's like, man, grab them 12 stones and build me a memorial. It's a moment that you can stop and think about the faithfulness of God. And he certainly has been faithful to our church. Lamentations 3 comes to mind. Great is the faithfulness of our God. Uh, and finally, I'm going to just double down. And by the way, Valerie is back. Where's Valerie at? She in here? Where's Valerie? She must be upstairs. She's upstairs. Valerie is, is back, and Chris has been leading a couple of weeks now, but uh, they both just got back from paternity slash maternity leave. Um, and man, it's, it just, it's, it's a joy to see the babies that are being birthed in, uh, in, in our church. Uh, we have a, that's Imani, that's, um, that's uh, Valerie and Kristen. We got Amani over here. Pronounce that differently because Warner checked me one time. I was like, what's up, Imani? He's like, ah, bro. Amani. So I had to, had to fix that. And I see Io is here, uh, Pastor Timmy. Io. Just crazy, man. It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, but hey, last thing I'm going to just quickly say, she, uh, Valerie was talking about the class on April 1st, the Able to Teach class. It is a preaching and teaching. Um, it's a really condensed course. But let me just, I want to be clear because the spaces are limited. It is not a, a class for people that just kind of want to learn about preaching. It is for if you feel that there's a gifting there, if you feel that, um, that God is calling you to, to preach or teach the word um, in, in, a, in a setting similar to this, we would love to be able to help you to understand how that works. Um, so that class is limited, but I just want to make sure that it is serious inquiries only and not just people that just want to kind of pop in. All right. All right, let's get to it. Exodus chapter three. Reading's a little lengthy, but I, I'm going I'm to just jump right in. Verse one. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. You guys might have heard this story before. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not being consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned. It says, and when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place in which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said to him, I have, I have surely seen the affliction. By the way, before I read this next part, do me a favor. Just pay attention to what God is saying here, because it's so, it's so profound and it'll help make the rest of the sermon make sense. Verse 7, then the Lord said, I have surely seen the afflictions of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmaster, meaning Egypt, 
I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out into the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jezubites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with the Egyptians in which the Egyptians have oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring the people, the children of Israel out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. Verse 13, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, God of your, the God of your fathers has sent me and they ask me, what is your name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you. I want to preach today from the topic entitled, You Are Enough. You are enough. I'm going to let that sink in. They say the third time is a charm, so I'll do it one more time. You are enough. Let's look to the Lord before we dig into this text. Uh, Father, we approach this somewhat familiar passage. We do so humbly and reverent and knowing that we can't hear from you unless you speak to us. And so, Lord, I pray over our entire church, Psalm 119, open our eyes that we may behold the wondrous things in your law. Show us Jesus today. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. You are enough. I want to start the sermon today with, with a statement that I believe holds true for not just everybody in this room, but everybody online. I believe this statement holds true. All of us are insecure about something. I know it don't feel deep, but it's true because sometimes when you go through life and you have that insecurity, whatever that thing is, it, it's, it's, it's almost as though it's isolated. It's, it's almost as though nobody else is wrestling with low self-esteem. Nobody else is wrestling with being self-conscious. And many of us, not many, all of us in this room have something that we are insecure about, something. Maybe it is a new job that you just started and you're now in a, in a different field and you just don't feel qualified. You ain't lying on your resume, but you don't know how you got the job. You just kind of got the job. God worked some things out. And to make matters worse, not only do you not feel qualified, but you're pretty sure that everybody on your job thinks that you're not qualified as well. Those moments birth insecurities. Maybe it's not a job. Maybe for you, you just became a parent or you've been parenting for a while now. Let me tell you something about parenting. I, I, I got almost 20 years in the game. I can tell you now, it doesn't get easier. Parenting is really prayerful, strategic guessing. That's, that's all parent. I mean, I know, I know kids, kids feel it too. Kids are like, you don't know what you're talking about. We're like, <laughs> me, me and Ty sit in the bed at night. We are like, we don't know what we're doing. This, <laughs> This, this thing is, is, can crash and burn at any time. But parenting, that, that can birth some levels of insecurity, especially you new parents. You new parents, I'm telling you, you're gonna, there never is a moment where you feel fully confident that you know exactly what you're doing. There's always that leaning and dependency on the Lord. Maybe it's the starting of a new relationship and you're afraid to open up to that 
individual that you were dating because you don't want them to see the real you because them seeing the real you might scare them off. And so every time you're engaging in conversation with them, it always brings up some level of insecurity. And maybe it's, it's just regular conversation with people. I don't know if you've ever been in that conversation with somebody where the person either is like witty or smart and you just kind of retreat back to a shell because you're like, I can't engage in this conversation. So I just won't say anything at all. Some people literally have anxiety when it comes to it's, it's social anxiety. Some people have conversational anxiety. The moment I start to engage in any part of this conversation, I start to feel a little uneasy. And for some of us, it is an, an internal insecurity. But for some of us, it's an external insecurity. You ever been in the conversation? Go, oh, God, I hope they don't notice this. I hope, y'all know what I'm talking about? I hope they don't see this. Or I hope they don't ask me no questions about this. Something physically about yourself that just like, ah, you just don't feel comfortable with. I believe that everybody in this room has those moments that they just feel insecure. Now, this next statement, I just want to be clear, ain't no shade. I, I'm looking at everybody. I don't mean no shade by it. But I looked up the statistics to plastic surgery in 2022. Now, if you've had one of these surgeries, listen, I ain't, ain't no shade, but I, I just want, I want to I read this because we've spent in the U.S. $15 billion in 2022 alone on plastic surgery. And the top five plastic surgeries that people get because they're insecure is liposuction. That's number one. Number two is breast augmentation or breast enlargement. Over 300,000 people had that procedure done in 2022. Eyelid reshaping is number three. And, and this one is not always vanity. Sometimes the, 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 the skin above the eye can hang so low that it impairs your vision. So it's not always vanity that people are getting these plastic surgeries, but that's number three. Number four is abdominal plasty, AKA a tummy tuck. I'm gonna let y'all guess number five. A BBL. Y'all knew it. Y'all knew it. B, do, you, do you know that in 2012, only eight, uh, 8,500 people received a BBL, but if you fast forward, to, it feels weird saying, if you fast forward to 2022, over 50,000 people in one year received that procedure. That's a lot of butts. I'm just, that's a whole lot. But BBLs, which is a Brazilian buttock lift, is number one. I, I, I feel like I had to define it because some people are like BBL, they're Googling. I don't want a picture to come up that you don't want to see. It's just, you know, you know what it is. But here's the thing. Maybe you didn't receive, you know, a, a, a breast enlargement. Maybe that's not your story. Nevertheless, it's still true that if I pass the mic around this room, everybody in here has one thing, at least one, if not multiple, that we wish we would change about ourselves. It might be physical, it might be internal, but all of us wish that we could improve something. We wish that we could afford them pearly whites that we see on, on social media. We wish that we could change our shape. We wish we could change our, our skin. We wish that we were smarter. It's all of us in here have that thing that we just feel insecure. And at the core of it, we just don't feel enough. I don't know if y'all remember that, that, that song by Skilo in the 90s. I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. I wish I had a girl that looked good. I would... I need the 90s babies in the room because self-improvement is something that we are all searching for. But what if, what if, what if I told you that God made you and made you perfect? Psalm 139 will say it this way, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. 
so that my soul knows it well. And so when God created you, he created you to have everything that you need. But oftentimes, and I get it, I struggle with insecurities as well. Oftentimes we're insecure, but I want us today to take the focus off our lack in what we don't have and what we're insecure about. And I want us to put the focus on God who has all things and is all sufficient in what he does. And so we arrive today at a passage well, the Bible says that Moses, the, the scriptures show us that Moses is wrestling with his own insecurity. And no, it, Moses didn't get a BBL or a, a abdominal plasty. He didn't, he didn't get any of those things, but he is still wrestling. And you can be assured that his life has been altered because of deep insecurities, which I will say have been planted. A seed has been planted for a long time, decades. He was dealing with this Insecurity. Let me give a quick context. In chapter 3, which is where we are, the book of Exodus, uh, it shows that Moses is currently in Midian. Midian is where he is, and he's tending the sheep of his father-in-law, Jethro. That right there is equivalent to living in your father's basement. So it kind of feels like if it kind of feels like he's like he, he's missed some things. I don't know if you realize this, but there is a 40-year gap between Exodus chapter 2 and Exodus chapter 3. So in Exodus chapter two, when he was when he was high up in royalty in, in, in Egypt, the Bible says that in chapter three is 40 years later. And he now finds himself at the lowest point in his life. And he is watching and tending the sheep of his flock. And I think even that God is using. But this idea of him being in Midian is so interesting because it is in Midian that God finds him and begins to speak to him out of a bush. Now, understand why he's even in Midian. Chapter two, the Bible says that his, uh, his, his stepfather, which is Pharaoh, disowned him. This is chapter two. In chapter two, he kills an Egyptian. And in, in, in chapter two, it is very clear that he is not liked by his own Hebrew people. And so he flees all the way to Midian only to marry a black woman by the name of Zipporah. Now, I don't know if you know anything about Zipporah, but this is Moses' wife. And the scripture tells me that, that Zipporah is a Cushite woman. Now, this is important for us to, to really wrestle in this as majority of the room, not everybody, but majority of the, of the room is a person of color. Here's why, especially black women, here's why this is important. Because so long I've heard people say, well, Christianity is a white man's religion. Christianity is a white man's religion. But when I look at Moses' wife and Moses' father-in-law, he's living with two black people. Because, because a Kush is, is ancient day Ethiopia, northern, northern Africa. And so Moses married an African woman. Let me go back further because if, if Christianity is a white man's religion, the Exodus, I mean, we're not even far in the Bible and we already see a black woman. Go to Genesis 2. Because in Genesis 2, the Bible says that there's four rivers that are flowing out of Eden. The second river is flowing out of Cush, which is Africa, which, is, which means that, 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 that the creation of people was somewhere in the vicinity of Africa. I need somebody that would rejoice that you got a little melanin in your skin. I'm serious. I'm serious when I say this. So that's, that's another thing that, that we wrestle with in terms of insecurity. So the Bible says that he marries a poor. He has a father-in-law named Jethro. 40 years, he's tending his sheep. He's caring for his sheep. He becomes a shepherd in this moment from the royal palace of Egypt down to smelling like sheep. But God uses that for his will and for his accomplishments. Pick me up in verse. Let me do one and then I'm going to skip to what, what, what God is saying to Moses. And in verse one, it says that Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, 
the mountain of God. Jump down to verse 7. Now, while he's tending the sheep, the burning, you know, he sees the bush burning. He goes up to the bush, take off his shoes. It's holy ground. Here's what God finally says to him. He says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of the task, their taskmaster, master, and I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land uh, to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Then he goes through all the ites that he's going to move out of the land. The Bible says in verse number nine, and now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come up to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come and I will send you to Pharaoh. And that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Watch what Moses says. But Moses said to God, who am I? Somebody say, who am I? Now, wait a second. If you paid attention to what I was reading from verse 7 all the way to verse 11, you will see that God used a bunch of personal pronouns. The story is about God. God is, God is very clear that I got a work that I want to do. It's in Egypt, and I want to pull my people out, and I want to bring them to Canaan. I'm just using you as a vessel, but the story ain't about you, Moses. The story is about God. In fact, look at how many times he uses personal pronouns. I have heard the cry of my people. God says, I have seen their afflictions. I know their suffering. I will bring them out to a land that is flowing with milk and honey. I will send you. Do you notice how many times he uses this personal pronoun of I? God is like, yo, the story is about me. And the moment that Moses hears God say, I, 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 my people, I'm going to send you. His next words back to God are, who am I? So in other words, what Moses just did was he turned the narrative from being on God to being on himself. And in doing so, he reveals to us a deep insecurity. When he says, who am I? He, it's a loaded question because the who am I was not birthed out of thin air or osmosis. He's not just wrestling with who am I in chapter three. He was wrestling back in, in chapter two when it was planted in him. What do I mean by that? I don't know if you know about, he had a bad two days when he was in Egypt. The, the, the scriptures is very clear that Moses is on his way to work and, and he looks around and he sees the, the, the Hebrews being mistreated by an Egyptian and he looks around and he sees nobody's there and he strikes the Egyptian and he kills him. And then the Bible says that he goes on about his day, the next day he comes back and when he comes back, the Hebrews, his own people say to him, who made you a prince over us? Who were you? And so in other words, this idea of who am I was not an insecurity that was birthed by Moses just not feeling himself. It was birthed because it was a seed that was planted. Don't forget, I told you chapter two was 40 years ago. So in other words, the seed that was planted in Moses took root, but it took root over 40 different years. You got to understand that Moses is wrestling with a, a, a bad uh, critique of himself that took root and it hindered how he saw himself. Now, let me get off of Moses for a second and get onto your life. Scoot over for a second, because many of you in this room have been wrestling with insecurities and the insecurities are deeply tied to something somebody else said something somebody else put in you, a critique that they gave you. And oftentimes the critique typically is somebody we once trusted their counsel. And because that person said something that, that rubbed you the wrong way or messed you up, you have never gone past it. For some of you, it's a father. 
And the Father didn't affirm you. And in the midst of, 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 of putting something in you, as a consequence, you've walked away and you now look lower at yourself than when you first had that conversation with your father. For some of you, it's a teacher that abused their authority. And they told you you would never be anything. And that thing actually stuck with you. For some of you, it's a boyfriend. And that boyfriend was overly critical about who you were. Maybe it was your physique. Maybe it was, you know, how, how you're wired. And after a while, the over, uh, overly criticism has now birthed into a seed that was planted that you are now insecure. I know I'm talking to somebody in the room. Maybe, maybe it was a girlfriend that constantly compared you to somebody else. And as a consequence, you now sit here in 2023 and you have a bunch of insecurities. This morning I got up and I was praying. I got up a little bit early because I wanted to spend some time with the Lord. And as I was praying for the first service and the second service and those of you who are online, one of the things that become, became very clear to me is that there is somebody in the room that is wrestling with a seed that was planted in you in your teenage years. And here you are in your 20s. Here you are in your 30s and you've, you've been functional and you've been moving and you've been doing the things that you're supposed to do. But you know, deep inside, if I pass the mic to you, you would be like, I'm insecure about that because somebody, somebody brought it up. One statement, one conversation. Do you realize that the Hebrews that he was helping when he killed the Egyptians, it was a wrong move, but the Hebrews that he was helping, they were the ones that criticized him. Insecurity runs deep. And I believe that God today... The Spirit of God wants to release you from the lies that were told to you. You are enough. You, God, God does want you. Did you hear the song? Like he, We are worth it. God saw that you were worth it. It doesn't matter what people have told you. It doesn't matter the lies that they fed to you. You are not that. Can, can I just get somebody that knows that you are not that? Whatever that is, I'll let you put in that place what that is. So he says, look, Moses, I've come to deliver my people. Moses, I've come to bring my people out of captivity. Moses, I've came down to do a work. And Moses' response is, well, who am I? Well, first of all, the conversation wasn't about you, Moses. The conversation was about God. You interjected yourself, which is a sign of insecurity. Let's be real. Out of all the people in Egypt, out of all the people in Midian, nobody actually is more qualified than Moses. Can we be clear about that? Like, understand, for the last 40 years, because Moses has been attending to the sheep, that means that Moses knows how to deal with unruly people. And if it's one thing I know about Israel, they was unruly. I mean, they, they constantly complained. They, con they, didn't, they didn't want, you say go left, they always wanted to go right. I mean, Moses had a hard time with them, but I think that Moses was able to deal with them because God was using the Caesar where he was tending to the sheep. Okay, I also think that Moses, because he tended to the sheep, he knew the paths. He knew the ter terrain. He knew, he knew the water supplies and the water sources. He also grew up in, a, in an Egyptian household, which means he knows the culture. He knows the language. He knows the laws. Not only that, but he also has proven to us that he has a burden for the Hebrew people when he killed the Egyptian. So actually, he is freakishly qualified. But Moses can't see that he's qualified. He can't see that God orchestrated every aspect of his life. You know why? Because he's too busy looking at the insecurities. Who am I? That's something that would have been planted in him a long time ago. Watch God's response. Moses says, who am I? What God says back to him is great. He says, verse 12, he said, but I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. 
You shall serve God on this mountain. Moses says, who am I? I'm not qualified. I'm not good enough. And I love God's response because what God does is God literally takes the story and he puts it back on himself. God was talking about himself, and then Moses finally interjected and said, who am I? God is like, well, forget you. I know that you're not qualified. I know that you're not skilled enough. But he says, but I'm with you. Now, I feel like I've spent a ton of time on this idea that God is with us. Remember we were in Jer- Jeremiah? I said, God is with us. Remember I talked about Moses, uh, about uh, uh, um, what Jesus says in Matthew 28? He says, I will be with you, and then he adds something, always. And so I don't think I need to convince the room today that God is with us. But here is what I would offer today, that God talking about himself, what he's going to do in verse number 12 is God shifting the conversation and putting it back on himself. I love that God spent no time trying to help Moses find his inner tiger. He spent no time saying, go to a self-help class, go, go to a self-esteem therapist. Like he doesn't send him to Ayana, fix my life. He doesn't do any of that. You know what he does? He puts the narrative back on himself because he understands if you're going to build confidence, I can't build confidence by making you feel great. I got to build confidence so that you see that I'm great. And that's the essence of confidence. Write this down if, you, if you're taking notes. Confidence does not come from a better assessment of your potential. Confidence comes from a clear view of God. I'm going to say that again. Confidence does not come from a better assessment of your potential. Confidence comes from a clear view of God. Do you know how many people in this room are trying to build up confidence and you're doing so by thinking about your skills and and, and thinking about what you're able to do and you're thinking about your development, you're thinking about all these things and praise God, like do all of those things. But at the core of confidence is having a clear view of who God is. That's at the core of confidence. You want to be confident? Think on the fact that the God of the universe is on your side. That'll make you walk with some swag. Paul says in, 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 in uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 31, I love what he says. He says, if God before us, who can be against us? See, that's the level of confidence I want you to walk out of here with. I don't want you to walk out of here going, my skills, I got to fix my skills. No, I want you to walk out of here going, I don't got the skills, but my God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. Somebody in, somebody in this room is trying to build that confidence, but you're doing so by trying to get God on your page. That ain't how it works. You want to build confidence? You got to get on God's page, a.k.a. you got to look at God. I, I look what he says here in verse number 13. I'm kind of doing a drive-by here. Verse 13, he says, Then Moses said to God, put, put the trajectory back on himself, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me, And they asked me, what is your name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, if this don't give you confidence, I don't know what will. I am who I am. Moses puts the the trajectory and conversation back on himself. God, once again, turns it back onto him. In fact, the next nine verses, Moses will spend listening to all the things that God is going to do through him. Let me tell you all something. The only thing that will build your confidence It's having a clear view that God is working through you. And if you accomplish anything in life, it ain't because you did it. It's because God was with you. I can't tell you how many times I feel insecure, especially on a Sunday morning, but just in general. Like, I'm often like, God, you called me to stuff that's just beyond me. Sometimes I'm in meetings. I'm going, 
man, if they knew, I have no clue what I'm doing. Like, seriously, if y'all, if y'all knew what be in my mind, y'all would be like, he should be preaching. I'm serious, y'all would, because I understand that without God, I will fall flat on my face. There are some of you that, you know, I don't know why. Sometimes I think people think that pastors are like gurus on everything. And I get questions on like career moves. I'm like, bro, I don't know, know, man. You need to ask somebody else that know. Sometimes I'm in meetings. I I told you all about the meeting I had a couple of of months ago at the end of December where I met with the the mayor of New York, uh, Mayor, uh, Mayor Eric Adams. I didn't call the meeting. They called the meeting. I showed up at the meeting. And the whole time, the whole time I'm sitting there so insecure. Why am I here? What am I? I can't offer anything. He's talking about these partnerships. That he want. I'm like, I have no clue. After the meeting, I go up to him. I'm talking to him. He knows the church. He knows about the church. He grabs my phone, puts his cell number in. Now, let me explain something to you. That has nothing to do with my skills. That has nothing to do with my, my, my charisma. That has nothing to do with my study time. You know what that is? That ain't nothing but God, period. And the moment you take credit for what God is doing, is the moment he will snatch it away from you. Always give God credit because he's booby-trapped your life to bring him glory. Every time, in everything, in all situations. And so here's the question. If you're wrestling with the insecurity, you serve a God that is all-sufficient. Why are we worried? Moses is worried about Pharaoh. Why? Do you know who God, God created Pharaoh? Romans chapter 9. Moses is afraid and thinking about the Egyptian power and the Egyptian might and the Egyptian's wealth. And God is like, do you know who I am? I want you to read the rest of the Exodus story. The Bible says that after after God delivers the people out of Egypt, do you know before they left, God said, take the gold and silver? So think about the, the Egyptian wealth. Israel walked out with all their wealth. And that's crazy to me. Only a God that has some type of power that, e- that Egypt doesn't have can do something like that. So th- that's my question. Who, who, who is it in here that is trying to put the confidence in your skills and not put the confidence in what God is able to do? I repeat once again, I didn't lose my place. I want to repeat it. Confidence does not come from a better assessment of your potential. But confidence only comes from a clear view of God. Well, Pastor B, I feel you, but... How can I get a clear view of God? How can I understand who God is? Do you know what theology is? Theology is just a big word for knowing God. That's what theology is. It's a study of who God is. And so if you want to know God, there's really two ways. Number one is here. And I'm not talking about that Sunday morning here where you come and, you know, you open up the scripture, you look deep. and you. I'm not talking about that type of, I'm talking about a real, real thirst and hunger for the word of God. You want to know God page after page is about God. Because oftentimes we think that the Bible is a story about us. Boo-boo, the Bible ain't a story about you. It is a story about God. And whenever you are mentioned, meaning human beings, it is always God that is reconciling us back to him. This thing is about God. And the moment you put yourself in it, you fail to understand good theology. Good theology always finds its fulfillment in God. That's the first way to know God is through the scriptures. The, The second way to know God It's through who the scriptures point us to, the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Anything you want to know about God the Father, we look to Jesus and we find it because Jesus is the exact imprint of God the Father. Come here, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. You ain't never seen God. 
I don't care how deep you, I don't care how deep you think you are. You have never seen the, the, the invisible God. You know why I know that? Because the scriptures will go on and tell me in, in John chapter one, verse 18, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the father's side. Jesus has made him known. Everything, you want to look at the compassion of God, you look at the compassion of Jesus. You want to look at the grace of God, we look at the grace of Jesus. You want to look at the mercy of God, you look at the mercy of Jesus. And here's why every time you come in here, I want to talk about Jesus. Because Jesus reveals to me who God is. Confidence is understanding who God is and stop looking at your limitations because they're there. The limitations ain't going nowhere. But I serve a God that works outside of boundaries. I, I serve a God that is not limited. And so when, I, when I'm able to focus on him and him alone, I'm just telling you, I walk different. I talk different when I understand who God is. That God, the God of the universe is on my side. I talk different. I take risk. I, I need somebody to hear me because some of y'all are so calculated. Everything got to line up. When you serve a God that, 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 that opens up red seas and makes water come out of a rock, I ain't got no time for calculation. My God works around calculation. And so the God that I serve makes me walk and talk and, and take risks and make decisions and move out. And here's what he does is he don't even give you much. Look at what he says to Moses. You, they want to know who I am? Tell them I am who I am. I, I love that. You know how deep that is? That's not even a name. Moses said, give me a name. God gives them a verb. Because I am who I am isn't a name. In the, in, the original, in the original language of the Old Testament, which is Hebrew, this word, um, the I am who I am, is chaya. Somebody got to say that. Say chaya. Come on. Ain't say, say chaya. If somebody ain't wiping the back of their neck, you ain't say it right. You gotta, something got to fly out. I, I know we still in COVID. Something got to fly out. Chaya. And, and, and this, this word literally means I will be who I will be. So when God says, I am who I am, that's not just a name. That's action. That's a, that's a verb. Will Pastor B, who, who will he be? Whatever you want him to be. What you need him to be? He's a deliverer. What you, what you need him to be? He's a, what they used to say back in the day, a mighty I and a, and a mighty O. He's whatever you, anything you can think of, he's that. And he's much more because the God that we serve has no beginning and no end. God that we serve is not bound by time. The God that we serve, serve is not restricted by money and laws. He requires no help. He doesn't get tired. He has no limits. So Pharaoh, who are you? Egyptian army, who are you? Because the God that I serve flexes his muscles over them. And we see that if you read the rest of Exodus. Do a study in your time, not just a quick read. Like actually study the plagues, actually study what Jesus, how, how God came in and swooped down and act, they, they treated the Egyptian army like they was a bunch of kids. I said, my people are going to be let go. They getting out of here. So the scriptures, excuse me, the scripture says that Jesus, that God is all sufficient. He's not bound. And if he is all sufficient, I should be more confident than I am right now. Let me say that again. If he is all sufficient, the insecurities that held me back should no longer hold me back. Let me show you the all sufficiency of God. Earlier in this chapter, in, 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 in chapter three, the Bible says that Moses was walking and he sees a bush burning, but the bush isn't being consumed. Now, you got to understand something about fire. I'm going to show you the, the sufficiency of God, how he's all sufficient in and of himself. Fire in and of itself needs something to sustain it. 
Can we agree you got to put wood in the fire to keep it going? If you, put, if you light a fire and you don't add wood to it, the fire's going to die out. If you don't put fuel into it, gasoline into it, some type of lighter, you don't put something in it, the fire will die out. But this fire that Moses sees is burning and not firing out. Why is it not going out? Because it is a representative of how God is all sufficient and the things that other people can't do, God is like, I can do. And let me just add that when God does it, he does it with ease. He says, I am who I am, a.k.a. Haya, I will be who I will be. Now, here's the thing about this I am statement. It's not only used here in Exodus chapter three. This I am statement is used repeatedly in the New Testament. Here's what Jesus says about this I am statement. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door to the sheep. I am the resurrection and life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. There's a point in the ministry of Jesus where he was standing before the Pharisees and they like, who you think you are? And he said, man, your father Abraham rejoiced to see me. And they like, you're not even 50 years old. How you see Abraham? Jesus says, I am who I am. So what Jesus shows us once again is how he is the exact imprint of the nature of God. If you want confidence, don't just look at Exodus 3, look to the cross. Okay, here, here, here's what this Exodus story points me to something else to come. If you just read Exodus 3 and read the rest of Exodus, you go, man, that's a great story. You've actually, you're not satisfied. And here's why. Because the deliverance of God's people out of Egypt points us to a greater deliverance that's coming. Moses is standing in the gap as what they call typology. He's just showing us something future that is to come. Jesus steps on the scene and he don't bring us to a land that's flowing with milk and honey. Jesus brings us to pearly gates and, and streets of gold. Jesus delivers us from our greatest problem, not the Egyptians, but sin. And so, let me just take this out. I don't know why it keeps messing up today. And so what, what Jesus does is Jesus shows us, that's why it was falling off. Jesus shows us in the text today that he will come and redeem all things in the New Testament. Now, there's somebody in here that you're still wrestling with the insecurities. You go, I hear you, Pastor B. I feel you, but I still don't feel good enough. Still don't feel confident enough. I'll say this. Just take one step. You ain't got to walk out of here leaping on, across buildings. But I think you do got to go out of here saying, I'm going to take the focus off of my limits and put them onto a God that has none. That, that's the goal today. And so I want to pray for somebody today that just doesn't feel like you're enough. When I was talking earlier and I was, I was saying somebody, since their teenage years, something was planted in you and you've been wrestling with those insecurities since you were a teenager, I know you're in the room. For some of you, it's the people that are serving. For some of you, it's, you're sitting here today in the pews. I don't know who it is, but I know that God doesn't want you to believe that lie anymore. Whatever they told you, whatever it was, he doesn't want you to believe it. He no longer wants you to stand in front of people and be insecure about how you look or how you sound. He's like, I use all of that. Moses, he didn't fix his stutter. He provided Aaron. But he didn't, he didn't, he didn't fix all the, the, the insecurities. But you know what changed everything? Was when Moses got to understand the I am. That I am. And Moses then leads the people. 
and leads them well. They're still rebellious. They're still rambunctious. But Moses becomes, here it is, the mediator between a rambunctious rebellion people and a holy God, pointing to another mediator that will come one day and stand in the gap between us and him, the person of Jesus. Who is it that's wrestling with those insecurities? Who is it that says, that's me, Pastor B? It's been planted a long time. I've, I've gone through therapy. It's hindered me in life. I couldn't make right decisions. I kind of went left because I just didn't feel confident. I didn't feel enough. Always felt like there was somebody that was, that was better or more qualified. It is. Do you realize that? I don't care how great you are at your job. There's somebody that's actually more qualified than you. There's somebody that could do the job better than you. There's somebody that's more skilled than you. I know it. There are 10 people in this room that could preach this, this sermon way better than I could. But here's what God does. God often delights in using the people that feel like you're not enough because when he uses you, you'll be able to say, can't nobody do that but God. And God is birthing in this room confidence. He's removing that lie. He's deconstructing that lie. And he's putting in its place the truth of who he is. Do not walk out of here, Caleb, and look at your skills and be like, I can do it. You can't. Look out of here and be like, God can do it despite me not having the skills. Whoever that is, can y'all just come to this altar? Listen, the first service responded quickly. I just... If y'all could do your boy a favor, if that's you, I'm insecure. It was planted a long time ago. I've kind of been wrestling for a long time. I just, I gotta, I gotta come up. I gotta talk. I, I, gotta, I gotta stand before the people of God and declare that no more, no longer will, will, will my shame and the thing that held me back hold me any longer. It's not gonna hold me. Y'all see the people, y'all see this? These are people that are being honest with where they are. There are some more of you Come on, church. I see y'all that you're wrestling. And maybe you're like, ah, oh, Pastor B, I will come up, but the altar's kind of full now. As a sign of surrendering to the Lord, won't you just stand up where you are then? Because I believe that God wants to do something today. Not tomorrow. Not the next day. I see you standing, but today. All of you on this altar, can you just lift your hands? I see you, brother. Father, I pray, oh God, that you would begin to uproot those things. Those things, we've, we've gone to therapy. We're still wrestling. We've, we've sought counsel from our friends. We're still wrestling. We've even prayed about this. We're still wrestling. And so, Lord, I, I know, I know that you can remove this lie and remove this doubt and, 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 and put something in its place. And so, Father, every single person on this altar, would you restore them anew? Every person on this altar, will you show them that they are enough, not because they're skilled, but because they serve a God that can do all things. Come on, somebody. We serve a God that can do all things, but fail. And so, Father, the same way, you're able to use stuttering Moses to stand before the most powerful man in Egypt. Father, would you use the people on this altar to accomplish great things? May their testimony be the thing that helps somebody else overcome. 
May you use them in such a way, oh God, that other people that are dealing with insecurities and feeling and, and not feeling enough and self-conscious, will you use them in a way that they can show they can show them how it is to overcome? How do we overcome by looking to God? Help us to look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Help us to open up our word and be serious about you because that is where confidence comes from. Help us to look to Jesus because we understand that looking to him shows us God, which is where our confidence comes from. Lord, I want to pray for the person that planted the seed. Because oftentimes, oh God, I think we demonize people that honestly didn't mean wrong. They just, they thought they were giving us feedback. But Lord, in doing so, they broke a piece of us. But Lord, I pray that you would use even the broken piece of us and do spiritual surgery on us today and restore us anew. It is not by accident that you used everything in Moses' life to bring him to the point where he was qualified to do what he did. Lord, I pray that you would use those things. And I don't want to minimize it because somebody's really wrestling with something deep that they are struggling with. Lord, I pray that today it would no longer hold them bound, that they would be free today, that they would walk in liberty today, that they would walk in a newness, a new confidence, that they would walk different today as we walk back to our seat. May we walk back knowing God is on my side. And if God before me, who can be against me? So restore these young ladies. Restore these young men. And Lord, may we go back to the people that planted that seed, whether they meant to or not, but be able to tell them in confidence. And I was bound for years by that, but it no longer binds me because your word is not more powerful than the word of God. Hallelujah. Said your word is not more powerful than the word of God. And so, Father, I'm going to let these folk go back to their seat. But, Lord, I'm serious. Don't let them go back the same way they came. Let us go back new. Let us go back different. Let us walk, go back with a Holy Ghost swag. Because you've done the work today. It is your, your name and your name alone we give glory. Let everybody say amen.